Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy. My name is Rachel. Just to clarify, you don't have to call me Dr. Rachel, not at all, honestly. I only get called doctor when I'm in trouble, you know. I get a call and it's like, may I speak to Dr. George? I'm like, oh, what, what did I do wrong? So you can call me Rach, you can call me, I don't know what you want to call me. You can call me Oi, you don't have to call me anything. Um, but you definitely don't have to call me doctor, okay? Um, most of you um, might know that I coordinate our patent in ex-Edinburgh. Um, and we actually have some people from ex-Edinburgh here today. <laughs> Loud, solid cheer from <laughs> Jamie. And the reason I'm in Edinburgh, I'm originally from Penang in Malaysia. Uh, woo, some solid cheers. Never as good as the cheer for KL, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Penang and I moved to Edinburgh for medical school um, seven years ago in 2015. Um, and since then, so by that I, I kept to medicine. I'm still a doctor at the moment. Um, and recently I've been asked a lot, I've been traveling. Um, the UK, seeing some friends before I move home to Malaysia for, for my job. And I've recently been asked for like the first time, like, what type of doctor are you? What do you do? So actually, very good question. Um, it's a very complicated answer. But in general, I'm a junior doctor. Um, so still very baby. And I have an interest in end-of-life care, palliative medicine. So that's what I'm going home to Malaysia to do. Um, you can ask me about that later. I like talking about it. Um, so you can definitely ask me what that means if you've not heard about it. Um, but that also means, now that I'm moving back to Malaysia, that also means I'm coming to the end of my time coordinating the plant in ex-Edinburgh. So I went to med school in 2015, started in Edinburgh, and that was the year ex-Edinburgh was planted in 2015 um, by another partner called Brian from Malaysia. And he was there for about a year. And so um, I joined X Edinburgh then. People always ask me, are you from X? Like, do you go to X? Actually, people always assume I went to X church in Malaysia, but I actually didn't. And there's no X church in Penang, but I knew pastors. So when I came, uh, one of my leaders told me, hey, you know, there's X in Edinburgh. Why don't you go check it out? And I was like, yeah, cool. And I've been there ever since. Um, so um, I, you know, when I was there, I remember this is the first time I met Pastor Dave, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was the first time I met Pastor Dave, uh, <laughs> maybe. Um, and so he came to Edinburgh uh, in December. <laughs> They're laughing because they already know what story I'm about to tell. But I met Pastor Dave in de December 2015. If you've been to X Edinburgh, if you haven't, you should definitely go and encourage them. But if you've been, you know that a majority of the people in X Edinburgh are doctors or medical students. Okay? I don't know why. But a lot of us, there's... <laughs> well, we will welcome you with open arms, you know? If you don't do medicine, that's okay. You can still come. Um, <laughs> but um, a lot of people there are doctors or medical students. And, but Pastor Dave had no idea, right? He had no idea that most of us were doctors or medical students. So along come Pastor Dave, you know, sharp in his suit, you know? He comes to preach to us and we're like, yes, Pastor, yes, so good to have you. Um, and he comes and he starts preaching. And I'm just going to quote him from Instagram. If you don't follow him, it's at Dave Yao. Um, <laughs> shameless. Part. I checked. Um, so he starts preaching, right? I honestly don't know what you preached about, actually. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Pastor Dave says it's common, you know. But Pastor, we love you. Um, and I actually, for the life of me, cannot remember what he preached about. But I remember this moment very, very, very clearly. And they're laughing because it's been a running joke for years, okay? So he stands confident, you know, Pastor Dave powerful preacher, right? Confidently, he's like, okay. And then he says this, you know, guys, <clears throat> in my years of campus ministry, I don't really see many revived medical students. Um, they either grow too proud for the church. They either lead double lives. Oh, 
or they backslide by the time they graduate. And I pray that God will raise a new generation. And I was just sitting there being like, this guy has no idea what is going on in the crowd. Um, and I, I, I don't think he knew at all. And I think he just very confidently was like thinking, you know, maybe one medical student um, there. And I remember in that moment, I actually have a picture of it. If Rora can look at the bottom, 6 December 2015. I remember writing a note being like, I'll prove Pastor Dave wrong. And... And like no additional text at the bottom. <laughs> I was like, prove Pastor Dave wrong. That's it. Don't need to do anything else. 6 December 2015. Also, what is when I looked at this, I was like, I don't want to be Satan's victim. I was like. So it was like seven days later, like, what? Who was preaching? I have no idea. Uh, anyway, ignore that one. <laughs> but I wrote in 6 December 2015, prove Pastor Dave wrong. And it's been I, many years later when I thought I proved him wrong. I was like, told you. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, when I wrote that, I definitely did not know what God had installed for me after that. I didn't know what that meant at that time. Um, a few months later, uh, the initial planter of X Edinburgh was leaving back to Malaysia, and I was asked whether I would coordinate. I have admitted many times that I didn't pray about it. Um, I would not recommend. Um, definitely do not try that at home. Definitely pray about it. Um, and I actually didn't even realize that I didn't pray about it until I met Tiong, uh, who you guys know is the coordinator of X Bristol. And we were both sharing stories about, you know, how we were offered. And I was like, oh, I was just at someone's house. And they were like, do you want to be it? I was like, cool, yeah. And didn't think twice. And then Tiong was giving this very, like, powerful sermon about how he stopped. And he, like, prayed about it. And he said, maybe, and then he went away to pray and came back to say yes. And that was the only moment in my life I was like, oh, I forgot, I forgot to do that. <laughs> uh, and I never realized it before until I met Tiong. Uh, but definitely, I recommend be a little bit more like Tiong, a little less like me. Um, <laughs> and so I said yes, and I took on the role of coordinating. So that meant I was coordinating ex-Edinburgh through my time in medical school. So in the second year, so second year of ex-Edinburgh, uh, that's when I started my role as coordinator. And it, i, I got to admit, you know, i got to be honest, <laughs> I think I, I didn't think twice. I was like, oh, cool, this must be easy, right? <laughs> Definitely not what I've realised over the years. But when I when said yes, there was no hesitation. It's quite gung-ho as a 20-year-old. Is that, what language is that, English? I don't know. Um, but it's, I was quite gung-ho and quite brave, you know. I was like, yeah, I can do it all, you know. And then in second year, uh, which is not the right attitude to have, by the way, but that was, but that was how I was. Um, I was very gung-ho. I was like, yeah, I definitely can do this. Along the years, people would ask me, are you sure you can manage medical school and this? I was like, you know, didn't really think about it, but we're here now, so <laughs> let's keep going. Um, and so, I, you know, I was, I was very kind of, yeah, I can do this, I can do this. And in that first, second year, for some of you who might not have been around then, so this is about 2016, our church grew quite quite well. Um, we had 10 people initially when we started roughly, and we grew to about 40 people consistently week after week. And that was my first year as coordinator. So of course, I was like, yeah, born for this, you know, <laughs> like I definitely can do this. Um, and in, in that year, you know, everything was great. I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've made for this, born for this. And then suddenly over time and um, in the next year or so, things started to <laughs> take quite a turn. Um, essentially, we, a, lot, a lot of dramatic events later, like we had partners literally deported out of the country. That doesn't really happen. Not their fault, by the way, <laughs> but literally deported out of the country. We had um, partners who were really looking for jobs in Edinburgh and just could not, could not get a job. Uh, we had a lot of people who were trying to come to uni, could not get into uni um, in Edinburgh. 
And then we also had this time where we were like, yeah, we're going to move to a new building. You know, we're going to claim it. Uh, this is our building. And then we really felt God say yes. And then suddenly one day I got an email saying that the whole building has been demolished. I was like, excellent. Uh, great. So, you know, then I found myself as a 21-year-old girl leading a church plant of like 10 people, if not less. People leaving, partners being deported, buildings being demolished. I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, here I am. And you know, at that point, I was obviously getting busier with medical school as you enter your clinical years, more time commitments, you know, a difficult time in my life personally as well with different things. And I, I guess I started to waver, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, and, you know, at that point, I was thinking to myself, my biggest doubt was whether I had made a mistake in the sense that whether I was not the person for the job. Remember how I said I never prayed about it? This time, I was a bit like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have prayed about it. Um, and I was starting to doubt whether I was the right person for the job. You know, if I was, why weren't we growing the way I wanted it to? Why weren't we growing that the way... I, we did before, or the way every other church plant coordinator got to. Um, you know, I'm going to be real with you. Um, because we were such a small plant, um, I used to, you know, because coordinator, you need to like cheer people up, right? I was like, when two or three are gathered church, the Lord is here. And I fully believe that. I fully believe that. But if I'm real, there are moments where I was like, God, why is there only three though? Like, <laughs> I was like, why are you not adding more? Um, you know, and you know, in this time when I was having doubt, that is the natural thought. And then I would be like, you know, church, because we were still meeting in my living room because we didn't have a building, like we literally didn't have four walls, I would say, you know, church, church is not about the four walls. You know, it's about God, which it is. And I fully believe that. But when you stand there and you're like, there's no four walls, unfortunately. <laughs> it's... It, it hurt me, you know? It was difficult. I was doubtful at that period already. And when you saw things in your life that didn't add up to the promises of God, you're like, what's going on? Um, and to be honest, I probably started running out of my gung-ho 20-year-old spirit uh, and also my proof pastor day wrong attitude. Don't do anything to prove anybody wrong. It doesn't sustain you, okay? Um, and in that season, I was really seeking God. I was asking God, you know, what do you want me to do? Things are getting really difficult. This, um, you know, this we were in a year's time, I would be graduating and I was thinking of leaving Edinburgh as well for my job. And I was like, God, what do we do? And, and I was sitting in a park bench in Vienna, which I have a picture of because that moment became very significant. So if Rora can show the picture. Um, I don't expect you to recognize it. It's honestly the most random park bench ever. <laughs> And it was in during season of Uten, which is the season of fasting and praying that we do every year. So on 16 April 2019, I was really seeking God. Um, I was meeting Pastor Sandra, who was our lead senior pastor in Malaysia. And she was coming in to see me and actually really to encourage me um, in that time because we were going through kind of a difficult time with church and things. And I was really seeking God, you know, God, what do you want me to do? You know, um, should we just move on? Should we just close down and go somewhere else? I read a really good book, which I highly recommend if you're looking for a book to read, called God Has a Name. So nothing specifically about plan or purpose, you know, it was just about God's name as Yahweh. And it said this, which I'll read it to you. Faithfulness is a thing of the past. And here's the problem with that. The best things in life are the results of faithfulness, usually years, if not decades of faithfulness. Faithfulness is long obedience in an age of instant gratification. Amen? And in that moment, I knew that the God, was, God was speaking to me so clearly 
that he was asking me to be faithful to this journey I had with ex-Edinburgh. It was so significant, I took a picture because I was like, I will want to remember this moment forever. With that, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And as you're turning, I'll give you a little bit of a background of Mark chapter 6. So I love the book of Mark. The book of Mark is like, it's power-packed, you know. He wastes no time. He's like one story after the other, after the other miracle. It's no, you know when you go and watch like an action movie and you're like, I can't go out to pee because like if not, I will miss <laughs> everything. So the book of Mark is like that. You can't really blink. There's every chapter, every word is an amazing story. And, you know, chapter six starts with Jesus being rejected in his own hometown, very popular story. And then he sends out the 12 disciples two by two to preach, to cast out demons, to heal. Later, you find out that John the Baptist gets beheaded by King Herod, and you find yourself in this portion of Scripture. This is the only story that is found in all four Gospels, aside from the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, it is a story, if you were born Christian, you will know the story. If you were not born Christian, you would also know the story. It's so popular, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Amen? Let's read from Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him, all that they had done and thought. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Amen. So very popular story. A lot of people, a lot of you know this really well. Um, and it's not the first passage that really comes to mind when you think of faithfulness, but bear with me, okay? If you've been in the church long enough, you would have heard this sermon from many point of views, you know, the point, point of view of Jesus, point of view of the little boy, I don't know what other point of view of the bread and the fish maybe, who knows. Um, <laughs> but you have heard of it from many different point of views. And today, I want to look at the point of view of the disciple, the disciples in this story. When you think about faithfulness in the Bible, who comes to mind? One of the first people that comes to mind is God, right? The whole Bible is literally a story of God's faithfulness. After the fall from chapter 12 of Genesis onwards, the Lord, it's a story of God being faithful to Israel and keeping his covenant to Abraham's family and Israel failing quite miserably in return. If you read the Bible, you, it, it's, it's quite misleading to read it as a collection of short stories that each you know, teach a moral lesson. Um, that's not what it is. It's a brutally honest, raw, uncut story of how Israel failed to keep faithful to God as God kept faithful to the covenant that he made. Amen? Um, and we also think, you know, when we think about faithfulness, we think about God, we think about many Bible heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Daniel, Nehemiah, 
Paul, uh, I'm sure you can think of more <laughs> if you weren't um, here, up here, but you know, Bible heroes who have all been faithful. But I don't know about you, I rarely forget the disciples. I, I, sorry, I frequently forget the disciples. <laughs> I frequently forget the disciples in that list. That, that makes more sense. Um, and, and I was thinking about this when I was looking through this passage. Why do we, maybe you don't, but I do, forget the disciples when you think about faithfulness? And maybe that's because we have such a close glimpse into their lives, right? We have literally four Gospels where we're seeing their lives in like microscopic like view. Um, and you hear about their doubts, you hear about their fears, you hear about their hardened hearts, their confusions, their sleepiness, their exhaustions, their hunger, even when Jesus was right there. Um, and it does make me feel better about myself sometimes that, you know, even they were hungry, exhausted, although Jesus was literally standing right there. But they were, you know, they are great heroes of faith. They are the people who remained, most of them, remain faithful with Jesus till the end of their lives. Um, in, in a world where Jesus was shunned and shamed, and they stayed faithful throughout it all. Um, and you know, in this story, if you look at it from the point of view of the disciples, they had just come back from ministry. So they were sent out two by two to go heal, to go speak God's word. And they were, they were just coming back from ministry and they were telling Jesus everything that, they were go, that was going on and what they had done. They were clearly tired because Jesus' response to them was, okay, you need to, you need to come and rest. <laughs> Jesus was like, you, you need to rest. And, you know, they could have been tired from all they were doing, but they were also mourning the death of John the Baptist, who was a close friend of theirs and a vital part of their ministry. Um, it also says they were hungry. Well, it says that they didn't have time to eat, so we can assume that they were hungry. Um, and they were sad, hungry, and tired, and they were going away for some much-needed rest. And then, of course, people came to run and see Jesus. Jesus, you know, when Jesus is your boss, you just kind of be like, yeah, okay. Um, because he obviously had compassion on the people, and he wanted to teach them and shepherd them. So it doesn't say specifically what the disciples were doing in that time. Maybe they were taking a nap, but I imagine them just kind of sitting down and listening to Jesus. And being the servants that they are, they are compassionate at heart also, and they recognize the need. They knew that the people would be hungry because it was late. And they were like, do you know, Jesus, right, good, you've, you've taught them already. Time to send them home because they need to go and get food. This is a desolate place. How are we going to get food? But what does Jesus say to them in that moment? You give them something to eat. Not exactly the words that you want to hear uh, when you're tired and hungry. <laughs> but, you know, I really relate to the disciples, but especially so in this moment you know, you're hungry, they are hungry, tired and sad, and Jesus challenges you to continue to give and serve his people despite how you're feeling in the moment. And this was exactly how I felt as I sat on that park bench in Vienna when I heard those words, be faithful. Um, so the title of my sharing today is a call to faithfulness and re like to remember the time that I felt God called me to stay and be faithful in that park bench. You know, God used this passage to speak to me and teach me about what it means to be faithful and respond in faith, just like the disciples did when I didn't feel like it. I look at the disciples and I see a version of myself, someone imperfect and even doubtful, yet God showed me the beauty of the continued act of obedience, i.e. their faithfulness. He reminded me through this passage of self-simple, yet powerful truth to encourage me to respond with faith as well to the call that he was giving me. Amen. So call to faithfulness. My first point is this, if you're taking notes, you already have all that you need. What was the disciples' first response when Jesus said, give me something to eat? You know, give them, not <laughs> give them something to eat. Um, and Jesus's, the disciples' first response was this, with what? 
we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. You know, similarly, when I was given the challenge, I was in a time of my life wondering, how was I going to do this? With what? We have such a small team. I started to wonder what I was lacking. You know, am I, you know, am I lacking time? Am I lacking enough skills? Should I have gone to Bible school, maybe? I don't know. Um, and I was seeing, like, you know, do we don't have enough people. And in that moment, God spoke to me through this passage and said, go and see what you have. Okay, And this is what he said to the disciples as well. He said, when they said, with what? How are we going to feed them? Are we going to spend all our money and go spend it all to buy things for people? Jesus said, go and see what you have. Um, and so I looked up and saw in my life what God had already given me. He had given me time. Maybe I wasn't using it wisely, but he had given me time. He had given me talents. He had given me experiences in my life that I could use. It might not be as great as I wanted it, but when he calls you to something, when he calls you to be faithful, when he challenges you to respond with faith to a call that he has over your life, you can trust that he already has given you all that you need, even though it might not seem like you, you might not think that's all that you need, but God has already given you all that you need. And, and, you know, I looked up and I saw my talents, my times, my experiences, but also I saw the amazing team that was in front of me. For a long time, I had been viewing them numbers-wise as small, but God was like, I brought them there though. You know, I brought them there to a small church that some other people, you know, might not have believed in, some other people might not have rooted in, but I brought them there. Just like the little boy, you know, it's not like the disciples had the food with them. The little boy, if you read the version in Matthew, he was the one who had the five loaves and the two fish. So, you know, God was reminding me that, you know, that boy wasn't there by mistake. It wasn't there by coincidence. God had provided the five loaves and two fish. Um, so I looked up and I saw the things that I had, but also the people that God had provided me with. Yeah? Amen? So you already have all that you need, just as the disciples had all that they need to feed the 5,000 there. Secondly, your little is so much in God's hands. Amen. Um, so the disciples, you know, they were like, okay, go find what they had. And they found a little boy, five loaves and two fish. And then they gave it to Jesus and they were like, yeah, we have five loaves and two fish. You know, <laughs> uh, I was like them in that moment as well. I looked up and I was like, yeah, okay, I have time. I have some talents. I have experiences that you've given me. I have an amazing team. Uh, but it's quite small, it's quite small, it's quite little. Um, you know, I have a little bit of time, I have a little bit of talent, and I have a small team. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay, God, I have five loaves and two fish, and then that's not enough. Um, but God says, God said to me, just as Jesus said, uh, or showed to his disciples, you know, um, that our job is just to give what we have. What God do, does with it, how he uses it, is up to him. Uh, we, we had such a small team in Edinburgh that I used to joke that we literally only had five loaves and two fish. We have a picture. Uh, some of the loaves and fish are in the audience today. <laughs> um, but I used to joke, like, if you take out Pastor Kenneth and Sandra, there's literally, like, five girls and two guys. <laughs> and I used to joke that, you know, guys, we literally have five, only five loaves and two fish. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> that, that's the reality, guys. Um, so, um, what was the thing? Oh, we literally only have five loaves and two fish, but we're going to be faithful and give God what He has given us. Amen? And how He uses it is up to Him. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen? Um, and so, 
you know, God was teaching me or telling me, look, as you stay faithful, as you, as you commit, as you respond with faith to this calling I have over your life, number one, you already have all that you need. I have provided it for you. Number two, you're little. What you think is little is so much in God's hands. And as we know in the story, God, Jesus breaks the bread and feeds the 5,000 men. There were also uh, women and children who were not accounted for in that story, but also there was 12 basketfuls left over after that. Let's continue reading, reading the scripture if you're still in Mark chapter 6. Let's read verse 45 to 52 as we go to our next point. Amen. Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Isn't that crazy that the disciples were literally sat there when Jesus broke the bread in their hands to feed 5,000 people? There were basketfuls left over from five loaves and two fish. And it says here that they didn't understand what was going on. Uh, their hearts were hardened. In the NLT version, it says their hearts were too hard to take it in. But how real is that? How many times have you found yourself in life, you know, doing whatever God has called you to? but you're tired, hungry, frustrated, you're looking inside, but you don't realize that like, the Lord literally fed 5,000 people through, through the little that you have given. So many times in my time as coordinator of Acts Edinburgh, I, and actually in my life, <laughs> I have been too inward focused with how I was feeling in the moment, my tiredness, my hunger, my sadness, that I, forget, I forgot or my heart was too hard to take in of what God was doing through me, in me, around me. Um, and so were the, the disciples were like that as well. Um, but God reminded me when he, when he, through this passage, on that day in the park bench in Vienna, God reminded me, sometimes your heart's going to be too hard to take it in. But when you stay faithful, when you continue to journey with Christ, go on that boat with him, go on the lake with him, continue to spend your time with him, you are going to be completely amazed, which is point number three. So he reminded me, you already have all that you need. Your little is so much in his hands. And he reminded me, you're going to be completely amazed, Rach. You're going to be completely amazed at what I can do. Sometimes you won't get it, but you're going to be, at the end of it all, you're going to be completely amazed with what I can do. Amen. Um, you know, in our time in Ex-Edinburgh, we might be a small plant, um, but we have seen souls saved. We have seen disciples made, partners baptized, lives touched in Edinburgh. Um, you know, I personally, as I answered this call, have had the privilege of seeing salvations firsthand. I've led some of them to receive Christ. My friends, my peers, I've baptized some of my best friends. Um, and, and, you know, the biggest joy of my life, to be honest, uh, has been seeing disciples being made. Um, you know, flawed, sinful, imperfect people like me um, trying to give their Mondays to Saturdays to Christ and committing their whole life to Christ, uh, acknowledging we are all in need of a Savior, we are all in need of God, um, you know, and that has been, to be honest, my life's greatest privilege to watch disciples be made for Christ, amen. From that day on, on the bench in Vienna, I knew that it was a reminder for me, a calling for me to be faithful 
um, like the faithful God we serve. Now, do I have some big story after that to be like, oh, I listened to God and I said yes. And I stayed faithful and here I am with a huge church of like 1,000 people and a booming ministry. Uh, I, I, I wish so, uh, <laughs> but I don't have that story. Instead, I've had coffees with some of my closest friends, you know, people who love me and are cheering me on and look me straight in the eye and said, you know what, Rich, I always meant to tell you this, you'd be more successful in a bigger church. You know, people who tell me, you know, if you didn't stay in ex Edinburgh, you wouldn't be single today. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Intense coffee, okay. And, <laughs> and I've also had people sit with me, all well, well-intentioned, all nice, you know, like, you know, you would, be, you would have a more influential ministry if you didn't stay in a small church back here. Can I leave you with a quote that I've lived my life by for the past few years? It is a quote by Oswald Chambers. Always measure your life solely by the standards of Jesus. Amen. It might be the world standards to have a church plan. It might not be the world standard to have a church plan of five people, but in Jesus' standards, every life counts. You know, in the world standards, one could see things as a waste of resources. Why don't you go to a bigger church? Why don't you go somewhere else? Why don't you serve there? Why do you need to toil in and out here? But in Jesus' standards, obedience is key. Um, and as we end today, can I throw in one more point for you? Is that okay? Okay, that's a solid yes from you guys. <laughs> um, I was going to throw it in anyway, so you don't have to say yes. Um, <laughs> uh, last point is this. Let's read verse 53 before I give you the last point. Mark 6, 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Amen. My last point is this. You know, all three points that I had just now were quite inward-looking, weren't they? You have all that you need. You know, your little is so much in God's hands. You are going to be completely amazed. And in that moment, that's kind of what I needed, you know? I needed that like encouragement to myself to even have the courage to say yes. And amazing, amazing God does that. Um, but when you're tired, sad and hungry, sometimes you look quite internally for that strength from God, right? And this were his promises to me, the truths that he had to me. But over my time as seven years coming out of it, you know, as I look back, the one thing that God has really taught me above everything is this, that the story is not about you. Um, so, you know, when in this portion of scriptures, after the miracle after they were completely amazed, you read this sentence and it says, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Um, they ran there, they brought people um, to, to be healed, to experience Christ, to meet Jesus. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak so that all who touched were healed. Um, and you know, a lot of times to, the time, to my time in ex-Edinburgh, I was quite inward looking, you know, God, give me strength, how am I going to do this? Like, but at the end of the whole thing, I realized that my whole life and everything I've done, the story is not about me. It is for God to be glorified. Just as the disciples did. You know, you don't come to the end of this passage and it says, right, so then the disciples were glorified. Everyone wanted to meet the disciples. Everyone wanted to touch their cloaks. You know, you don't see that. They lived their life. They experienced a miracle. They were vessels in that miracle to break the bread. Um, but it was actually God's invitation for them to partner in that miracle. But who was glorified? Who should be glorified? It's Jesus. Amen? Um, and you know, your life, the work of your hands, they should always, always point to Jesus. We are merely the vessels in that story. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I really like that it says this, perhaps, 
that's what it is. When you see something happen and you know it's definitely not you, you stand back and boast only in your weakness so that he may be made known. Amen? Um, and through my life, you know, as, as I have said yes to Christ, as I have uh, continued to be faithful, you know, responded in faith, even when maybe I didn't really feel like it, I've come to the end of it to see God work in amazing ways through ex Edinburgh, but also, importantly, through my whole life. You know, um, it, church is one part of my life with Christ, but a very big other part of my life with Christ is my, med, my calling in medicine and my ministry there. But, you know, when we talk about being faithful, when we talk about responding with faith, it's not only in the church. It's important to respond with the faith in church. It's important to remain faithful in church, but it's all aspects of our lives, right? Our relationship with Christ is not segregated into different parts. It's not like work, okay, you can come here, but not come here. And, you know, our whole life is, um, is about being faithful to Christ. And, you know, this journey with church for me, over the years of being faithful uh, with ex-Edinburgh, it's kind of like exercising a muscle, you know, like strengthening a muscle of responding with faith, you know. Uh, as I respond with faith, that muscle of trusting God, of being faithful, uh, of, of responding in faith when He calls me becomes stronger. Uh, and, you know, Jamie, my flatmate is here who's known me for all seven years and I was running through things with her. Um, thanks, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was running things uh, through with her and she was like, she said to me, she was like, but your whole life is a testimony. I'm like, amen. Um, <laughs> that's why you need best friends who love the Lord, amen. Um, and she, and she, you know, she was telling me, she was like, I thought your last sermon as coordinator would be about what has, God has done in all your other areas of your life. And I was like, girl, we'll be here forever if we had to talk about that. But that's the amazing thing about saying that first step of yes, you know, the first step of being faithful, responding in faith, it strengthens that muscles to say yes to every other thing that has called you to. Amen? Do you see that? Um, and so this is a big part of my life. It is a big part of my journey here as a university student and now a doctor. But it has just strengthened that muscle to say yes when, and respond with faith over and over again because through this experience, to train, through staying faithful, to responding with faith, I have seen him work. I've seen him provide. I've seen him use. I've seen him, and I've been completely amazed and I've also been reminded that, you know, every time he calls you to something, every time he challenges you to something, it is not just about you, you get to be a vessel in that, and that's amazing. It is a privilege to be a vessel in that journey, but the whole story is so that people recognize him, is so that people know him, and so that people are glorified. You know, um, as Jamie reminded me, <laughs> she's... Um, as many of you know, I, or maybe not many of you know, but <laughs> I'm going back to Malaysia um, to pursue a career in medicine, and a lot of people told me when before I said yes to this, you know, you're making a mistake. The medical field in Malaysia is doomed. It's a disaster. You're going to get paid less. You're going to not, you're going to pay work more hours. I don't know whether any of you are doctors in Malaysia or any of you watching doctors in Malaysia. I hear that's true. <laughs> I hear it is true. Um, but, you know, I, I was, Pastor Kat and Dave have journeyed with me a lot in kind of, um, in, you know, seeking God for that confirmation and that calling over my life. And, and not going to lie, it was a very difficult decision to make because it felt like I was giving up a lot. I was giving up a stable career here. Um, you would think medicine was a stable career everywhere, but it's not really. It's not really. But it's a great job. If you want to do it, definitely go for it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not as stable as it seems. You know, there are challenges there. Um, and I think, you know, even... Um, a lot of people around me, my best friends were like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to say yes? And you know, in that time, I sat down and I was like, am I sure I want to say yes? I don't know. But then I remembered this moment in Vienna 
uh, when God spoke to me and be faithful and I saw how he came and how he provided, you already have everything that you need. When I worried about how much I would make in Malaysia, you know, God was like, well, I provided you everything that you needed anyway. Um, you know, when I was worried about... I don't know, everything. <laughs> it was like everything that you have, you just give me and I will use it. You might not know how, but I will use it. And your little becomes so much. And then he reminded me, just as you've been amazed when you said yes last time, as you say yes to this, I will amaze you. You will stand amazed. Um, and then the last reminder was this, but actually, Rach, the whole story is not about you anyway. It's about you being a vessel to honor me and to glorify me. So I said yes, and it was a very difficult decision. Very difficult decision. But... But God has been so good to me. And along the ways, you know, after, after Pastor Dave and Kat uh, walked with me through it, I decided one day to, to say yes and to give up my job in the UK. And I was very scared, <laughs> understandably. And I was very nervous. And everybody was like, what are you doing? You're making a mistake. You're doing the wrong thing. I was like, ah. Um, and, but then God started to show up little bit by little bit by little bit. You know, I, some of you have heard already, but I, when I got my license to practice in Malaysia. Um, I was worried because there was a chance that I wouldn't get a license in like the level that I am at now. Like I would have to start from scratch. Um, and that was quite off-putting because you don't want to be the bottom of the food chain for a very long time. <laughs> if you're already working, you understand what it's like to be the bottom of the food chain. And I am past that stage. But uh, to go back to Malaysia, there was a chance, if I said yes to it, there was a chance that I would start at the bottom of the food chain. And Pastor Dave and Kat, you know, gave me some really solid pastoral advice and said, you cannot let the crossroads decide for you. You need to know where God has called you to. You know, you can't be like, because I was kind of saying to them, if I, if I don't get the full license, I'll stay here. And Pastor Dave was like, that's two different countries. You know that, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and he was like, you know, don't let that crossroads decide for you. Find out, seek God. What is your calling? Where has he called you to? Where has he asked you to respond with faith? Where has he called you to be faithful? And I did that. And, you know, even though I didn't get my license yet, it was all in process. I said to God, you know what, God? I'll go home, even if I had to start from the bottom. And it was experiences like this, like responding in faith to church and seeing how he's come through. Um, you know, it might not be the world standard to go back to Malaysia to work as a doctor, but in Jesus' standards obedience is key. Um, you know, um, sometimes I ask God, can you give me more like popular things? Like, you know, can I be like a cardiothoracic surgeon? Can I be like, you know, can I have a bigger church? Why like that one? Like, you know, why do you have to make me like always be like, always measure your life solely by the standard of Jesus. But, you know, over the years, you exercise that muscle and you respond with faith. And even as I said, yes, the minute I said, God, I'll go home even I had even if I have to start for a junior, he came through for me supernaturally. Very long story to explain. But supernaturally and gave me a full license in Malaysia. And I, I was in tears. I don't really cry much, but I was in tears. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was amazing that that license was almost impossible to get. And I got it uh, as I responded to him, you know. God... Um, you know, as you stay faithful, as you respond in faith, um, every time you say yes, you get a bit more brave. You get a bit more courageous. You see and you rely on that stories. You know, you guys are on a series at the moment, maybe, about witnessing. Yeah. Correct? Yep. Pastor <laughs> Dave looked confused. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, the best thing about this whole journey with Christ, the best thing about responding with faith, it is opportunities for you to get testimony after testimony after testimony of how good He is. Testimonies that have made me, it made it so easy to share Christ with my friends. Not like, here's the Bible, please take it. This is... 
very heavy. Uh, <laughs> here's the Bible. <laughs> Take it, you know, here's all the words. It's just simple conversation starters. You know, actually, God provided this license for me. You know, actually, God did this for me. God did that for me. God has come through this way. And, you know, it's opportunity. Every time he challenges you in that way, it's an opportunity to, for another testimony. But most importantly, an opportunity to glorify him. Amen. Church, as you stand and as we close, um, I guess with everything that I'm saying, um, I just wanted to, you know, just as you, as you worship God, as you take the word in that he spoke to you, you know, where is God challenging you in your life to respond with faith? Where is God calling you to be faithful? As I said, my example is church in my career, but there's so many areas of our lives that God can challenge us to respond with faith. So many areas in our lives that God will respond us to be faithful. Is it for your career? Is it your relationship? Is it your marriage? Is it your, your, any area of your life? Is it, is it church, maybe, even? And whatever it is, the odds are that it will be hard work. It will be painfully slow and frustrating at times, but the best things in life always are. But it will be worth it. So even as we worship, even as I pass the time to um, Sam and Sundar as they lead us, uh, why don't you just pray and seek God? You know, this might just be a reminder to be faithful in years later when you need that reminder. But maybe in this moment, God is asking you, where should you respond in faith? Where has God called you to be faithful? Amen. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, Thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.